Welcome to the Memorial Sermon Podcast. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your walk with God and drive you closer to Jesus. For more information about our church, visit mbcmetairie.org. Now, here's this week's message. During this time, I want you to grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, I want to encourage you uh, to grab one at some point. Maybe you have one on your device, your phone, or your tablet. We would love for you to join along with us as we study God's Word together and we dig in God's Word together. We wrapped up the book of Romans last week, and so this week we're going to start a little mini-series as we get into the holidays. wanted to do something that I felt was relevant to the times, the things that we are seeing in the world right now. And so as we move into the holidays, I wanted to do a little mini-series that I'm calling Signs of the Times. And we're going to walk through Luke chapter 21. Uh, not all of it today. We'll only go through a portion of it today. And we'll go through some other passages as well. A lot of times when we think about the end times, typically we think of the book of Revelation. We think, okay, all of that is in the book of Revelation. Well, nothing could be further than from the truth. Christ tells us that there are, that, I mean, specifically all throughout His Word, Old Testament and New Testament, of His victorious return of when he will have victory over sin, victory over death, victory over the devil, and that he will bring his salvation to our lives. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to heaven. A lot of the songs that we're going to be singing this week and over the next couple of weeks are going to focus our attention on things like heaven. We, When we think about the end times, we need to realize that this world is not our home. This world is a blink of the eye. The Bible calls it a vapor that is here today and gone. And so we need to recognize that ultimately that we are all in this room eternal beings. We are all eternal beings. You need to understand this. You will exist forever. That's our, that's our belief. And so for you to say, okay, am I prepared, not just in this life, but also the life to come. Over the next couple of weeks, I want us to study some passages dealing with Jesus's return in light of the fact, let's think about it, of what's been going on. A pandemic that's been taking place. Do you realize that disease, I mean, is prophesied throughout scripture in the end times? Do you realize that we have gone through six hurricanes, not to mention different tsunamis, the scriptures as we look through this, and I hope that you'll come back and join with us. I'm telling you, this is going to be an incredible time for you to learn, an cre- incredible time for you to put your radar up and go, wow, you know, maybe we are close to the end times. But it talks about that people will faint because of the roaring of the seas that is specific in the, in the scriptures. Even as we think about the fires in California and last year in Australia, I mean, we, we think about the, these natural disasters of what the, the scriptures talk about, the beginning of birth pains. And even yesterday, you know, one of the things that, that it talks about is things like earthquakes. And I just, you know, I just did a simple Google search of earthquakes that might have happened this past year. You don't realize how many earthquakes take place in a single day, 
We are so sheltered. If you go, I'm serious. I'm serious as a heart attack. Go look at this and Google for yourself. You can do it right here if you want. Recent earthquakes. And there is a website that brings up, did you realize that there were 38 earthquakes yesterday in our world? 38 yesterday of 2.5 or higher on the Richter scale. And Jesus said that all these things would happen before he came back, including wars and persecution. Some of y'all know the story. You've probably heard it from me a couple, a couple of times, but we, we've had a few people join us over the years. So I wanted to share this, this, uh, this story. We, we're going to put this picture up here on the screen over a decade ago. Um, a little less than a day. Well, yeah, a little over a decade ago, I was, I was working, uh, in the French market. And, uh, in the French market, I was down there and, you know, we were just doing sales and things like that. That's what God had me doing before I became a full-time pastor. And so, um, one of the things that happened was, uh, if you may remember this, you remember the guy named Harold Camping? At the time, he was 89 years old, and uh, he was the activist who believed in Judgment Day, and that would it would occur on May the 21st, 2011. Now, this is his group in New York, in Manhattan. They had all of their different signs, and they believed that on May the 21st that uh, Jesus would come back, and then that the end of the universe, they predicted, would be on October 21st, 2011. Well, this was nine years ago, even this week. And so as, as we think about this, they had all these signs. They had 2,000 billboards to announce this particular event. And as many of y'all know, that no one knows the, the, the day or the time that Jesus is going to come back. However, you know, being in sales, I thought that this would be a great opportunity to, you know, let, you know, try to boost sales that particular day. May the 21st just happened to be a Saturday. And so I was out at my, my table down there. And so I put out a sign that said, May 21st, doomsday sale. Everything must go. Everything. I was trying to get it all. Now, what was so funny about that is that a few people would come by and they just kind of giggled and snickered and did all, you know, they just looked at and kind of laughed. But as some of y'all know, if I've told you this story before, some of the people looked at that sign and you could see the fear in their eyes. It was not funny to them because they were not prepared for God to come back, for Jesus particularly to come back. And I think that it's important for us to look at this, not and not to look at it with fear or anything like that, but for us to realize that Jesus is going to come back. And so if you got your notes, I want you to pull those out. There's a couple of things that I want you to see just right here out of the gate before we really dive in just to the first six verses of Luke chapter 21. Here's what I want you to see. Write this down. Whether Jesus comes back tomorrow or whether he comes back in 10,000 years, I, I just pulled that out of the air because, you know, it could be less, could be more. Whether he comes back tomorrow or whether he comes back in 10,000 years, we need to be ready. We need to be ready. This is something that is all over the scriptures is that Jesus is going to come back. 
He is going to come back. Let me give you a great example. I'll prove it to you. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. I'll put it up here on the screen. I have an accountability partner. And one of the things that we do each week is we memorize a verse or verses together. And one of the, and this verse was one of the ones that two weeks ago that we memorized together. And so this is what it says. It says, so also Christ, having been offered once, to bear the sins of many. Now, let me just stop right there. That's talking about his first coming, okay? That he bore the sins of many. There's some deep theology mixed in that, that you can't pay for your sins yourself. Jesus had to bear them for you. So he came in his first coming to bear the sins of many. Now, look at this. Don't miss it. Will appear a second time. I mean, that's pretty explicit. I mean, that's right off the page. Not to bear sin. So when he comes back his second time, he's not going to bear sin. He's not going to take it upon himself. Instead, here's what he's going to do. But to bring salvation to those who are waiting on him. There is absolutely no ambiguity there. He's coming back and he is going to take those with him who know uh, him as their Lord and Savior. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean? We'll write this down. That means that it's not our job to make predictions. It's not our job to make predictions. There have been several people through the years that have made predictions. Some have been folks that, that were pretty respectable. And then they would come out, well, God's gonna, Jesus is going to come back at the end of 1982. Or Jesus is going to come back at this time. You know, one of the things is, you know, that we have around us is Jehovah's Witnesses. I, I'll make this, this point. Did you know that Jehovah's Witnesses, as much as they come and they knock on our doors and talk about things, you know, and, um, the thing is, did you realize that they had five predictions back in the late 1800s and early 1900s? Five different predictions, specific dates, Five different predictions that have been wrong. And over the years, they quit making predictions, I guess, because after the first five, you realize you can't predict this. They keep getting it wrong. It's not our job to make predictions. Ha! Huh, but here is our job. Look at this. It's our job to make preparations. It is our job to make preparations. We need, first and foremost, to make sure that our heart is prepared to meet Jesus. Our heart is prepared to meet Jesus. Let me put this passage up here on the screen. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36, and then I'll kind of skip over to verse 42 and, and verse 43. But look at this. It's now, it, says, it says, talking about the second return, Jesus says, Now concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Do you see it? Why would you make predictions when the Bible explicitly says, No one knows. Neither the angels of heaven, huh? So some person in, in, on the earth is going to know. Neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. Did you catch that? And so that no one knows the day or the hour, yet this is what it tells us in verse 42 and 43. Notice this. Therefore, be alert, since you don't know what day your Lord is coming. But know this, and he gives an example, a small parable, if you will. But know this, if the homeowner had known what time the thief was coming, he would have stayed alert and not let his house be broken into. 
I don't know if you've ever had your house broken into. I had one time in college, and man, they took a few things, and there's nothing like thinking, if, if only I had been there at this time, and if only, oh, I forgot to lock the door. I remember that day, I forgot to lock the door. I was in a hurry that particular day. It was raining. I thought, who's going to be out in the rain? Had someone come in to our house, take a few things. I thought, if only I had known there's going to be a lot of people when Jesus comes back, shining in the light, coming on the clouds, coming at the trumpet call, and they're going to say, if only I had known. And that's why we're here today to tell you, because I want you to know from the bottom of my heart, I want to be able to look at you in the eye on the day of judgment and be able to say, we told you, we talked about this, and it was important. So that's what we want to look at today. So as we dive into Luke chapter 21, Today, what we're going to see is a little bit of transition. As you dig deeper into Luke chapter 21, Jesus is going to be more and more and more explicit about that particular day. He's going to talk about the things leading up into that day. But in the midst of this, He's been going back and forth with the scribes. He's been going back and forth with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He's been having a time with the religious leaders. And he's been talking about how that's all they are, are religious. But they don't have a relationship with God. Their hearts aren't right. And something happens that I want us to look into to today that gets us thinking about even one of the very first things that we need to prepare our hearts for as we look at, at to that time when Jesus is coming back. And so it's in that transition that something happens that is taking place right there in the temple of Jerusalem. I want you to look with me in Chapter 21, starting in verse 1, says here that he, talking about Jesus, he's with there with his disciples, but he looked up and saw the rich dropping their offerings into the temple treasury. And then, look like this in verse 2, he also saw a poor widow dropping in two tiny coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor woman has put in more than all of them. For all these people have put in gifts out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. Well, you're thinking to yourself, okay, Pastor Dan, I thought we were going to talk about the end times, not poor widows putting money into the, the offering. Well, I want you to see what is taking place. There, there was a place within the temple called the Court of Women. And this was an area that men and women could come and go. There was also an, an inner area that only men could go. And then there was an inner area in, in, in the midst of that that, that only a certain priest could go. So uh, different things as you got closer. And what you had is you had these, what, what they called trumpets, if you will. And it was very narrow at the top and it looked a lot like a trumpet. And then it kind of came out, it kind of fanned out as it came down. And there were 13 of these different trumpets back in, during that time. And each of these 13 trumpets was assigned to a different offering that you could give to help out the priests with things that would take place in the temple. And so one trumpet was for the wood. 
It was used to buy the wood that was used for the sacrifices. One trumpet was used uh, to buy and, and help make the incense that was burned upon the altar. Others were used for the upkeep of different vessels that were used uh, during that time that, that, uh, that there were sacrifices and different rituals that were taking, taking place. So you kind of get the idea. Each trumpet had a different thing. And so it was near all of these trumpets that Jesus is sitting. Now, my version of the Bible and the, the Christian Sander Bible says he sees a woman drop, quote, two tiny coins, two tiny coins. And so if you actually go back into the original Greek, these two tiny coins were actually translated to lepta, to lepta. Now, a lepta or a lepton was the smallest of all coins both in size and value. In fact, lepta literally means this, the thin one. Can you imagine that? The coin that was so small that it's actually named after what it means, the thin one. And so Jesus is watching this and he's seeing everything that is taking place and he makes this comment about her as other rich people are dropping these different amounts of money and, and, and remember these things are like metal trumpets so you can imagine if you're dropping coins into something metal and you're rich, can you imagine the sound that it would make? So you're dropping these coins and oh and it's just this the sound, and, and man, other people might even turn their head and look, oh man, who dropped that amount? Man, that's really loud. But then this woman who's not going to get any notice because hers isn't going to do all the clanging, Jesus notices. God notices. And as this is taking place, He says about them, He says, for all these people have put in their gifts out of their surplus, but she out of her poverty has put in all she had to live on. Now this is so important and this is so significant as we move into Jesus' discussion of the end times. And I'll, and I'll tell you this, how can we take this looking towards the end times and apply it to our lives? And here's the deal, I want you to write this down. How do we apply this? We apply this by asking the question that we are, are we not holding tightly to the things of this world. The preparation of our hearts begins as we look at our hearts, look at our lives, and we ask this question, what am I holding tightly onto that is in this world? This is a huge temptation that is in our lives. Stuff, money, possessions, Maybe even to some extent, relationships. That we have to have this relationship. Well, let me tell you, is there any relationship in this world that is more important than your relationship with God? If there is, you might be holding too tightly to something in this world, even a relationship, if you put it before God. Before this had taken place, Jesus had a conversation with a rich young ruler. And this rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Master, good master, what do I have to do in order to enter heaven? And so Jesus, knowing all things, is he's going to toy with this rich young ruler. And he says to him, he says, how about you obey all the commandments? 
obey all the commandments. And the rich young ruler's eyebrows went up and he thought to himself, oh, this is great. And so he looks right back at Jesus and, and he says to Jesus, he says, all of these I have kept from my youth. And then almost to, 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 to make himself uh, look good or make himself to justify himself, he, he looks at Jesus and he says, is there anything that I lack? And Jesus looks right back at him knowing what is about to happen. And he says, do you want to be perfect? He says, if you want to be perfect, go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the Bible tells us that that rich young ruler went away literally grieving because he owned so much. Now, does Jesus want us to sell everything in our possessions, every single thing in our possessions? I don't think that that's the point of the story. I don't think that that's the point of what Jesus was trying to get to. I think what Jesus was trying to do is to get to the heart of the issue that this rich young ruler was holding tightly more to the things of this world than looking towards the kingdom. And this shows us another thing that I just want you to hear loud and clear, that you can obey all the commandments that God has for you, but it doesn't matter if He still doesn't have your heart. Did you catch that? The rich young ruler had obeyed all the commandments. He was excited because he had obeyed all the commandments, but God still didn't have His heart. And if you want to be prepared for when Jesus comes back, you have to let go of things so tightly to the things of this world. And it really has nothing to do with money. It has everything to do with your heart. Jesus said himself that wherever your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew chapter 6. So wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. Is your treasure here on the things of this world, which won't remain, or is your treasure with God in heaven? Let me give you one more example just to kind of drive this home for us. In Africa, there was some tribesmen who had all kind of issues with some of the monkeys in their area. Their monkeys had become a nuisance. They had begun to steal their food and take a lot of their things. And, and so they began to hunt these particular monkeys. And, and they had a tough time doing it until they were able to devise a trap. And in this trap, what they were able to devise is they were able to make a trap where simply this, they put a small hole in a container, and they put a piece of fruit that they knew that these monkeys would want. And so what they would do is the monkeys would reach down into this fairly large trap. It weighed a pretty good bit. It weighed more than they did. And so they put their hand down in this trap, and they took hold of the fruit. Now the problem was that as long as they held on to it, they had a, a little fist. Now, if they had just taken their hand, they would have been able to slide it right out. But the fact of the matter was that they were able to trap these particular monkeys because they would go in, they would grab onto the fruit, and they would not let go even when they saw these huntsmen. They wouldn't let go. They would try to, to bring it with them. They would try to drag it with them. And the huntsmen were easily able to gather all, all these monkeys and be able to hunt them down and kill them because they simply wouldn't let go. 
And we think of that and we go, you dumb monkey, just let it go and you'll be able to get away. But then we look at our own very lives and we go and we look at ourselves and we say, but I can't let it go either. I want to encourage you, not holding tightly to the things of this world. The second thing that I want you to write down that we are, that preparation begins by living a life of sacrifice and surrender. Here we have her and she gives these two coins and, and here it's, it's out of her poverty and Jesus knowing that what is going on in her life, he says that she has put in all she had to live on. And so that we live this life of sacrifice and surrender, that this is investing in the kingdom of God. And here's what I, here's what I want you to hear loud and clear. This isn't the, necessarily the, the tithing sermon that, that, you know, that, okay, invest in heaven, you know, get, give of your tithes and give of your offerings. That's not the point that I'm trying to drive home. Although God calls us to be obedient and he calls us to give of our tithes and our offerings. But here's the deal. It comes down to saying, I want to live a life of sacrifice. So what does that look like for you? Perhaps it looks simply like this. Buying someone who may be going through a trial or maybe they're going through life and you just know that you need to reach out to them. Maybe it's something as simple as this. Buying them a cup of coffee so that you can talk to them about what's going on in their life. Or buying them soda or lunch you know, I, I, we have some church members in here, and I, I just I won't name any names in particular, but you have blessed me as your pastor because you have done so much outreach. There are folks all over this room who have taken people out for coffee, taken people out for lunch. There are folks in this room that found out so-and-so didn't have a Bible. I'm going to make sure that I go and I'm going to buy them a Bible and I'm going to give it to them. And they're saying, you know what? For me, that, that's, a, that's a sacrifice. For me, that's something that, that I can do. That's a life of surrender instead of saying, you know what? You need to go get your own cell. You need to get your own Bible. You guys have put, man, the rubber has met the road in your life because uh, you have been putting this in to practice. It's amazing. I want you to know that we had a donor give to the toys that the kids uh, are trying to earn on Wednesday night. We couldn't have done that had not this donor given out of, out of sacrifice and surrender in order for that to happen. Now these kids, you, you see, man, they're, they're learning their Bible verses and they're learning all these different things about God because one person stood up and said, you know what? I want to give a life of sacrifice and surrender. And it's never about the things necessarily that we give. I want you to hear that. It's about the opportunity. When you take someone out for coffee, when you take someone out for lunch, when you do something like that, you earn the right to speak into their life. And that gives us the opportunity, man, to live a life of sacrifice and surrender, of trusting that God is going to take care of every need that you have. I want to encourage you to live a life of sacrifice and surrender in a way of being prepared for Jesus' second coming. And then, I want to go over just these, these two next verses right here before we, before we close. Look with me in verse 5. 
As some were talking about the temple, you got to remember they're in the midst of the temple. This is Herod's temple that uh, even before the time of Christ, even before Jesus was his incarnation, before he was born, decades before Jesus was born, Herod began building uh, this temple. And so as you see in verse five, some were talking about the temple and how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God. And he said, these things that you see as they're just ooing and eyeing all over the temple building, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. And so here's what I want you to write down. And this kind of goes along with our how I've entitled my sermon about the things of this world and being drawn to the things of this world. That we prepare our lives, next thing is, by not being wowed by the glitz and glamour. They were looking around all these precious stones. Some of these precious stones had been given by rich families. You know, hey, we're going to build a temple. Anybody want to contribute? So you had some of these rich families. Yes, what do you need for that? And so, man, these beautiful stones, these, these beautiful, all this beautiful architecture that had taken literally decades to build in order that the, the temple could come together. And, and so I want to even put up here on the screen that, that, you know, this was Herod's temple. I mean, it was the most beautiful temple, even, you know, as the temples were built in the Old Testament. I mean, Herod just expanded it and expanded it and expanded expanded it. And so Jesus comes on the scene that they're being wowed by the glitz. They're being wowed by the glamour. And so Jesus, what does he do? He tells them, he says, the days will come when all these beautiful stones that you guys are talking about will be left, that not one will be left on another, that they will all be thrown down. And little do they know that in about 36 years from the point that this conversation takes place, some of y'all know this. We've talked about this in the past. That the, the Romans are going to put down a Jewish revolt. And Emperor Vaspian is going to commission his general, Titus, to put down this Jewish war. Well, what's the central part of the Jewish faith? Jerusalem and the temple. And they go in in 70 AD and just as Jesus predicted, they burn the temple and all the, these magnificent stones aren't upon one on another. The only thing that we have left nowadays is the wailing wall, which is the west wall of the temple. And guys, as we look at what's taking place in, with the disciples, as we look at what's taking place, it's so easy, even in our own lives, to be wowed by the glitz and the glamour. That new car, man, looks so good. For some of us who are moving on in our careers, that big house, the new clothes, technology. There's a reason why every time that Apple comes out with a new phone, that there are lines and lines and lines for people because they want, they're looking at the glitz and the glamour. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad in and of themselves. New cars, houses, technology, any of that. It's not bad in in yourself. It's whether or not that you give your heart over to it. That is when there is a problem. When you're reading through your Amazon wish list more than you're reading through your Bible, there's a problem. When you are wowed by the glitz 
and the glamour. And this is what pushes so much of our economy where our economy has this underlying message, don't be thankful for what you have, be envious of what you don't have. The glitz and the glamour. I want to give you an example of just how this came together. William Randolph Hearst, he was a great publisher, many of y'all have heard and know about from the past, and he read about a particular painting and he became so enamored with this painting. And he said to himself, I've got to have this painting. And so desperately desiring to own this painting that he had heard about, he sent his people and his employees all over to try to locate this particular painting. And they couldn't find it anywhere. Couldn't find this painting, but he wanted it. 365 days, a year later, out of the blue, one of his employees came to him and told him that the painting had at last been found. And so William Randolph Hearst was excited about this particular discovery and he asked, where has it been all this time? And the employee looked back with him with a smirk on his face, he said, it was in your basement. You have owned it the whole time. Mr. Hearst, who had never read the ledger that recorded everything he owned, he didn't understand the wealth that he already possessed. And here's why I bring that up. It's because so often as we look to the end times and as we look to Jesus' return, we are uh, the, the, almost like tunnel vision where we see the glitz and glamour, but we don't realize the wealth that we already have in having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you realize if you know Jesus and you've had His forgiveness of, of your sins in His life, you, have, you are wealthy beyond belief because your wealth doesn't just stay in this world, it also goes on in the world to come. And so for many times we are looking at all the things around us, distracted by all the things around us. And like William Randolph Hearst, he wanted this so badly and yet... The prized possession that his heart desired for us, especially as believers, it was already there. Do you see yourself in that story? And then the final thing that I want us to look at as we talk about being prepared is that last thing, by understanding that one day it'll all be gone. By understanding that one day it'll all be gone. As we see, as Jesus is talking about all these beautiful stones, and then as in verse 6, as we just read, He says the day's going to come. One stone's not going to be left on another. They're all going to be thrown down. I think you know. <laughs> I know that you know that you can't take anything out of this world. Nothing of material possession. You can't take a thing out of this world. And let me tell you, we have done a lot of funerals here at Memorial. Some of my best friends, I've preached their services. And not one time have they taken anything with them. They don't even leave it in their casket. Every single thing that you own materially stays here on this earth. 
And sometimes it provides for the, for the family. Sometimes, I'm just going to shoot you straight, sometimes the family is arguing and backbiting and fighting over the things that their parents own. And it just goes to show their heart that they are more focused on the things of this world than on the things of eternity. I want you to just to kind of bring this home for us as we realize that we will not keep any of these things, that they'll all be gone one day. You know, in the Civil War, Confederate, there was different types of currency. You, you do know this. There was Union currency, and then there was Confederate currency. And so after the Civil War, did you know this? That that Confederate currency, after they had lost the war, became worthless. It didn't matter if you had a million dollars in Confederate currency. It was all gone. And here's what I want you to understand. Is that when Jesus comes back, all the things that we think are so valuable, even think of the price of gold. Gold, a little coin of gold is almost $2,000. Do you realize that? One ounce of gold is $2,000. This is the stuff in heaven that they're paving the streets with. Everything that we consider to be so valuable, that we have worked so hard for, that glitz and that glamour, it'll all be gone. But when we invest our lives in the gospel, when we tell people about how they can be saved, when we teach people about the Word of God, we do that because one day, None of the stuff that we think that matters, that we gather, will matter when it comes to heaven. And ultimately that we are going to be around His throne, laying our crowns before Him. And that ultimately that we're going to look up to God and He will be the one possession that we have. Before our band comes up, and well, as our band comes up and makes their way, and as we get ready to sing our final song, Behold Our God, and as we get ready to do that, I want you, we've sang this song several times, but I want you to see it in light of, of eternity, in light of Jesus coming back. Behold our God. One day that we're going to see that with our own eyes, face to face, seated on the throne. But this morning, as we consider that, I want to ask you, have you been focusing on the things of this world? Or are you focusing on what's going to matter most on the world to come? And let me ask you even one question deeper. Have you given your heart over to the things of this world where you have to be in control of your life? Or is Jesus in control of your life? The way that we go to heaven is not by any of our good works. It's all about Jesus' good works that He did on the cross. So if you will put your faith and your trust in Jesus, same way that little Joseph has, even at such a young age, he understood that he had sin in his life and he understood his need for a Savior. You can do that too and come to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today. Let's bow and let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning.